Welcome to episode three of Everything Hurts, where we talk everything medicine, everything science. Uh, you're here with Dan Quintana, that's myself, and James Heathers. Hello, James. Hi. <laughs> Is that a good voice for radio? Did I get that right? I think you got that perfect. That's fantastic. How are you? I'm good, James. How are you? Um, Reasonable. Yeah. Civil. Yeah. Um, gradually, gradually being stuck back together. Not 100%. Uh, I don't help these matters with, um, well, you, you know, you know how it is. Yeah. You, uh, you, you get ill. Sometimes you don't have time to be ill. Yeah. It's annoying. Yeah. But that's not going to stop us here. No, we're going to, we're going to plow ahead. Um, before we, uh, before we get into the actual episode itself, um, remember, that uh, you can find us on Facebook at um, Everything Hurts Podcast and uh, on Twitter at At Hurts Podcast. And you can also email us if you have any questions or any feedback with what we're talking about at everythinghurtspodcast at gmail.com. Is that all of them? Have I got all of them? Um, I think that's enough yeah. of them. <laughs> there's, a few, there's a lot of ways you can contact us. We're findable. Yeah. <laughs> So, today, uh, what did you want to talk about, James? Sci-Hub. Sci-Hub. Yeah? Yeah. Don't make that face. You know exactly what it is. Well, but let's say, let, as, a, as a kind of a, an experiment, I think a lot of people have heard about Sci-Hub about as much as you have. Yeah. So, what have you heard? I've heard that uh, it's basically torrenting for papers um now what sorry what papers scientific papers hey right on now i think uh as, as a lot of people would know um it can be really hard uh accessing papers and that's even for people uh, like ourselves that actually have access or good institutional access there still are a, a lot of papers that we can't access now i remember um Late last year, um, I got a paper accepted, and I thought, "Fantastic! It's going to be uh, it's going to be up online." Went to go find it, clicked on it, only to find out that I don't even have access to my own paper. So <laughs> the situation's getting <laughs> yeah. So the situation's getting pretty ridiculous when it comes to comes to paper access, um, and not to mention people who, firstly, are at uh, institutions institutions which don't actually have uh, wide coverage. Or people who aren't actually part of any institutions which have any access whatsoever. So, you know, it makes sense that these things have come up to uh, people of finding ways to actually get around that. Mm. Well, what you're saying basically is that research, scientific endeavor and academia in general have access problems. So there was an inevitability about someone solving those access problems through what is best defined as massive piracy. Yeah, it's basically solving a problem. Of course it's solving a problem. Yeah. Well, it's solving, it's solving an access problem. But look, it's, it's, doing, it's doing a lot of things, and it's got to a particularly interesting point. Um, Sci-Hub itself uh, is actually a few years old. It's got a lot of attention in the last I think three to six months. There was a Wired magazine article about it, and suddenly everyone had heard about it, and everyone was talking about it. But it's been around for a few years before. That's interesting, because I thought it was just a, a brand new phenomenon. No, I think 
they had a they had one website at the end of last year it was suspended and i think people paid more attention to that because uh it came out and obviously in various different active online communities uh people who are interested in peer to peer networking people who are interested in scientific publishing people who are interested in open access are all paying close attention to stuff like this. Yeah. So when there's this big old website and it gets shut down, it probably gets more it probably gets more attention from that than being up. And of course, like a any other website that is uh, facilitating pirate access to stuff, it immediately opens under another name. Yep. And the fact that it was shut down in the first place is in the news. So you get the kind of the rolling Barbara Streisand effect. Yeah, yeah. With um, Do you know the Barbara Streisand effect? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Stories of people who, um, you know, taking people to court for, for embarrassment or they're, they're embarrassed in their workplace for some reason. And if they didn't take them to court, no one would have heard about it. But then once it, once these court cases are up, Everyone's heard about it, defeating the purpose of why they actually took the person to court in the first place. Yeah, I want those photos. I look ridiculous in those photos. They need to disappear. Don't publish my personal details there. Don't talk to that person. Sometimes one of the most unbelievably counterproductive things you can do to, when you're trying to draw attention to a problem that you you, uh, you hope will go away, you can see the inherent contradiction. Yeah. Everyone look over there at that thing I don't want you to know. Well done. You've really thought this through. So the idea with SciHub then is you basically just, I haven't actually used it myself, um, is you actually just log into a website, uh, put the name of the paper in and it gets you access. What kind of coverage does it have? Uh, pretty extraordinary. Um, okay, here's, here's basically how it works. The access is well into the multiple millions um, for most most normal journals that people are familiar with in broader scientific publishing so uh the really big top tier journals um most specialty journals most well-known medical journals uh they are being accessed by a .edu proxy somewhere else yeah so they've started off i think people have i'm not sure about this part but i speculate to some degree people have donated their own institutional library access ah that's they get that they run that they run that through a proxy and um you access any content that is behind a scientific paywall that is paid content uh is accessed through the sci-hub website which is uh, sci-hub.io obviously we're going to link to that at some point in time mm. um my adventures with this website have been uh interesting not to say i, I don't really need to use it on a day-to-day -day basis because we we both have very good institutional access, so it's not really a pressing concern for us the same way it really is for a lot of other people. Yeah. Um, and I thought, oh, this is everyone's, this, that we're having lots of discussions about this. This is all very pertinent. I'll try using it. And I tried using it and it didn't work and then I forgot all about it. What, it didn't, as in you couldn't find the paper that you wanted? It just, it just didn't load. It's probably a capacity thing. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, and then I had a, a problem with a, a proxy server, it, it was a, it's a, something when I'm uh, I've left Poland, I've come back to Boston now. I'm logging into the library in Sydney. The library in Sydney is um, so it has a, uh, it's being run through the proxy server that's in the library. It's accessing a journal from elsewhere. 
It's trying to load a scientific article. Something in that process goes horribly wrong and it doesn't load. And I think, I'll try this Sci-Hub thing. I have access to this. This is something I feel have absolutely no shame whatsoever. I have institutional access to this. It's been paid for under a, a system. This is when we're getting into like the, the digital rights management argument territory. So I thought, I'll, I'll try this once and see what happens. Yeah. You put the DOI into the main website, and the second time, about 1,500 milliseconds later, the, the full access thing pops up. Okay, that's interesting. Now, I think a lot of it, um, does the whole sort of argument of, well, it's the same as if you were to send a paper to a colleague. You know, I, reg- I get emails from people asking requests to my papers, which I'll send to them, and that's that's completely fine. Do Are people using the same sort of justification for this, much in the same way that, um, you know, when it came to uh, music or, or file sharing, that it's just peer-to-peer sharing? Is that what they're using? Mm, no. Okay. I think it's different this time. Um, it's not it's not happening on that basis especially. Um, and look, that goes on all the time. The vast majority of uh, the vast majority of the time, if you want a paper and you could get in contact with the person who wrote it, I'll send it to you. Yeah. They have time for that. Other people it's very it is it is the center of the reason for writing the paper in the first place. The first thing that has to happen for it to be important and interesting is for other people to read it. Hmm. I don't think I've never heard of this happening once. All the conversations I've had with this over a period of years, no one's ever said, I wrote to Professor XYZ asking for a copy of her paper, and she wrote back, Well, if you don't have journal institutional access, I'm not going to send it to you because it's mean and naughty. Never happened. Well, I saw something. Not do- one time. I saw something doing the rounds on Twitter. Um, it was a uh, it was a teacher who wanted to actually access a paper for their students, and they emailed someone going, you know, oh, you know, I understand this might be too much trouble, and you, you wouldn't want to actually share it, but you know, um, I'm not sure of the legality, but can you please send it to me? And um, the the post and the actual response from the academic went viral, basically saying and encouraging people. Um, you know, teachers, but um, anyone that um, you can always actually email the corresponding author and they'll always, uh, almost always actually send you the paper. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. But look, that's the, the basis on how it works in the first place. But the, the Science is a, a, a method of... Oh, let me put it another way. One of the original functions of scientific journals as as we're familiar with them now was to provide people touchstones for their own private methods of communication a lot of scientists that weren't top tier people who were doing research especially at the end of the 19th century were furious communicators by letter yeah they continually wrote correspondence to and from each other sometimes if it was really important they wrote it to the journal the journal would stick it in this is where all of these things now that seem curiously archaic when we have instant communication this is what where all of these structures are from they're all predicated on the this the system by which everyone is communicating by text to each other in a physical written on a piece of dead tree mail thing now that actually reminds me um i, I saw a story uh, floating around a day or two ago about this guy who's started his own journal and he's touting it as a free journal, and essentially it is. I think it's a mathematics journal. I can't remember the yeah. name of it. So what he's done is um, he's basically organized some sort of system where you actually post 
your paper on um, mm-hmm. one of those archive sites. Bio, I think it was, I think it's BioArchive, and um, and the journal is just structured around that. So a lot of it speaks to this whole idea of post-publication peer review, which is yeah. um, much more popular, I think, within physics and uh, and a few other fields. Definitely not in uh, within medicine or, or psychology. Yeah. Um, yeah. So essentially, you know, and it's good because a year ago we were looking at frontiers, going, "Wow, a thousand dollars for a open access article—that's cheap." Then, then we have places like um, PeerJ, where PeerJ. you're about half the price. Then you have places. Are like, you uh, sorry? It's much less than that. Are you a member of PeerJ? I'm not a member of PeerJ. If uh, I was I, to, I got a lifetime uh, plan. The I got the top plan straight out of the box. We should submit a paper. Um, I have. It was three hundred dollars. Yeah, I have unlimited publishing for lifetime, for the lifetime of the journal. Uh, on a like other dudes, the the foundational plan or whatever the hell it's called. That's right. Um, and that is probably commensurate with uh how much it costs them to keep the lights on, buy electricity, maintain a database that's designed properly. Uh, host pay for pay for access, pay for essentially for ISP stuff, yeah. so people can get to the paper in the first place. Um, and if I put multiple articles into that, they think the lifetime cost is about three hundred dollars. And if you do the maths, it's probably pretty similar to that. Mm. It's even lower for your friend, the mathematician, and this is why uh, archive has been so straightforward, is because. Mathematicians and physicists don't just do their own papers and then they don't, a lot of them don't have immediate commercial utility. They've got a fairly small audience. They're extremely technical. Um, there's never a press release. Oh, Lagrangian set theory made a huge step forward today. No one's posting that on I fucking love science. There's no I fucking love pure mathematics. It's just, it, it's not a thing. So these people are not only doing their own stuff that can be instantly communicated and a lot of the time people can engage with it immediately with a very very small community you don't have to go oh we're going to replicate that it's the the logic is consistent or it isn't Mm. but they also do their own typesetting they do everything in latex so you have a a document that is uh you don't have to pay uh it doesn't have to be copywritten uh it doesn't have to be typeset it turns up in a format Uh, they, they they essentially are doing the all, all the functions that publishers will tell you require a lot of money. People who are physicists and mathematicians are doing in their spare time but when they know, finished doing the paper. There's actually a journal that meets halfway. There's a new journal called Rio. I'm not sure what it stands for, but they actually give the option of you can save money if you want to do your own formatting, if you want to do latex yourself, or you can pay a little bit extra and let, let the journal do it for you. I think that's actually quite a quite a good compromise. Yeah, it gives you yeah, options. I, I suppose. I suppose so. Look, this this fragmentation of options and the prices being driven down drastically are completely inevitable. Um, but is that going to be the the end of the end of the prestige journal? No, the problem the problem with prestige journals is has absolutely nothing to do with publishers. The problem with prestige journals is entirely to do with scientists and funding bodies. If you could write your papers at a, a, a manner in a, in a manner where they were equally impressive and straightforward, 
and they would acquire the same amount of attention and the same amount of citations. Everything else was completely identical and just shove them out into some open access repository thing where people could look at them and evaluate them more or less instantly the moment mm -hmm. they were there. What's physically changed between doing that and getting them published in Nature or Science or Cell or PNAS or any of the very large journals? Well, what what happens in the on the, the publication stages are fairly straightforward. The vast majority of stuff that they get sent is desk rejected for being not sufficiently novel or not interesting or, you know, the editor had a stone in his shoe on the way to work. And then things that come out after that are reviewed within an inch of their life. Sometimes things get accepted, sometimes they don't. It's unbelievably capricious. Mm. The the argument for keeping these things uh, is that they form some kind of curation of the really, really good stuff. Now, they will take truly amazing transformative papers, the really seriously important things. Um, they will, I generally have a fairly good record. I mean, you're saying, oh, we've invented optogenetics. Well, here's, here's the paper. Uh, we've invented the, 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 the CRISPR technique. Uh, huge, huge methodological advances. There's an increasing amount of credence being given to the view that peer review is the guarantee of very little compared to post-publication review. Um, and every single person who publishes anything has got a story about peer review. What's and your, what it is and what it represents. What's your best one? My best one was a, a positive review that I got um, for a paper that I'd written entirely by myself uh, a couple of years ago. And there was the one that was just very long and engaged with the topic and was pointing out a few things that I'd missed and making a bunch of... Uh, observations about things that might make good inclusions and it was a broadly broadly positive but a bit suspicious um and then there was a, a second one which is relatively straightforward where you know those ones where the, the, you get a senior academic generally and she says uh everything is fine essentially i believe in this i'm not going to go into details i don't have time it's a waste of your time and then they just write down a laundry list of all the typos you made and you feel really stupid yeah yeah, that happens all the time. And then there was a third review that was also positive, where someone had written two, maybe three sentences of what with like this is this is great, G R A T E, like full stop space another full stop, no capital letter. I would recommend publication two ends for something. It wasn't a matter of this person's English is a second language. It was it was barely text, and this was the review, and this is the one I had to wait for. And the others were in, you know, it's just not you get hold of the, 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 the thing and you see when it's returned. And go, this, it's, it was, look, it was entirely positive, but it was essentially they hadn't done a review. Mm. And I, it's it's nice that if they were going to not do the review, their default mode was just to go, oh, yeah, it's fine. Rather than, you know, ah, oh, it's terrible, spike it. Yeah. But literally, they made made you wait for a review that didn't actually. Now, that's not, as far as horror stories go, I recognize between like one and ten, that's about a one and a half. Mm. It's not bad. It's not bad for me or my paper or my career or anything else. It's just stunningly negligent. And, and what sort of turnaround times are you getting with your papers? 
Oh, totally depends on the journal and the area. Well, um, I I read a, a recent study which actually found that um, it, the the quickest journal turnaround times were the so-called mid-impact factor journals, um, journals between yep. sort of two, two and six, and then the really slow ones were the low ones and the prestige ones. But I actually find found the complete opposite personally that the yep. lower impact journals actually get back to me quicker. Uh, Frontiers. Gee, that's quick. So quick. In, in, in the space yeah. of um, having another paper sitting on the desk of an editor for an unnamed prestige-ish journal, um, mm. I, I got a paper reviewed, two rounds of revision, and accepted. It's in, it's insane. Um, Sorry, and, and how long? Uh, that was about four or five weeks. Oh, that is good. That was very, Look, very good. I, Comprehensive I, reviews, I can... the whole thing. Yeah, look, I can t- tell you now, unless I'm specifically working on something that has to probably go, uh, you just, uh, it's, this is the fact with other people's expectations. At some point in time, there's going to be some donkey in an office or some committee or someone who's trying to judge your evaluation by based on metrics, who's going to insist that you write something ostensibly important. So... You, you feel compelled with this, this sense of the fact that you're a complete quizzling and you shouldn't be doing it in the first place, except, you know, if you, if you choose not to do it, you could seriously impact your ability to do science at all in the first place. But everything after that, my primary concern is show me the turnaround time of your journal. Yeah. Well, if that's the case, that's it. Time to time to primary review. Oh, we've got an impact factor. I, I don't care. I don't care what everyone else is. I've never published in your journal before. I'm only putting one paper in. Your impact factor is how much people have read all the other stuff. That's not immediately relevant. Yeah. People will people will read it if it's relevant to others. People aren't going to not find it. Everything is indexed the same way now. Do you get alerts every day? How actually I know you get alerts every day with stuff that's in your research area. How many different forms of alerts do you have for locating everything that's published? Well, I mainly rely on Google Scholar alerts. Yeah, me too. Um, it's good. And then um, that's that's pretty much it. And then what people are talking about on Twitter as well. Okay, so you've got two versions of this. Two versions of this. And then, um, yeah, those would be the main ways. What, what about you? Uh, I've got multiple Google Scholar things that go off. Oh, yeah, I've no. Got, I, have a, I have quite a few search terms within Google Scholar, yeah. I've got things from I've got things from PubMed with search terms. I've got RSS things from individual journals. Yeah. No, I have the same thing actually now that I think about it. <laughs> and this that like, oh, and don't put it in the minor journal because it won't be seen. Do, yeah. do you see that do you see the fraudulence of this argument now? Yeah, but it all comes back down to this prestige thing. Um you know, people there's uh, one yeah, there's one paper that I was that I was a part of and I thought, you know, this is this is a good paper. Um but I didn't expect it to get um a lot of citations, but because of the journal that it was in um, it's just been getting a ton of citations. So, um, you know, it really makes a massive difference and people see that as a, you know, basically it's, it's capitalizing on the fact that people are very time poor. Um, it's, you can, it's incredible the amount of times that you can see, even when my own papers are cited, that I can see this person clearly did not read my paper. And we yeah. even have the situation of this uh, letter to the editor that me and you wrote a few years ago hmm. where, you know, we're, we're saying some important stuff. But uh, ish. Ish. it's not that interesting. How long did it took? It took an afternoon to write or something. Yeah, yeah. They're they're, they're reasonable points. Yeah, um, they they can be qualified in a lot of different ways. 
And but uh, yeah, and we what have happened? this we have this paper that uh, took us about an afternoon to write, and has got uh, more citations than papers that I've taken a year to, to collect data and, and and to work in, all because the title's interesting. And people are probably not reading it, and they're going, "Cool, that actually helps justify the research tool that I'm using. Let's whack it in." Yeah, and uh, I don't think a lot of those people know that it is, in fact, a brief letter with some qualifying stuff. Yeah. Um, and not <laughs> a data paper. It's not. It doesn't have any data in it. It's just saying. It's just yeah. It's it's brief. When it comes to these um, open access journals, I quite like it. Uh, a lot of institutions now are actually offering um, open access funds so people can um, submit their papers here. With an ex- yeah. You, you How many institutions? You see, the problem is you're sitting in Norway on, on your mound of oil money, spinning a salmon on your finger like it was a revolver, saying lots of institutions are handing away money to publish in uh, gold, gold open access journals. Really? I thought it was more. I thought it was more widespread. Uh, I'm gonna have to demand a figure on that. And okay. Be a pedant. Okay, I'm gonna have to look at that. Yeah, that's. Uh, I don't know how common that is. Okay. Uh, certainly, I'm not seeing it. people. People that I know who are very open access positive, I'm not seeing some the uptick in putting things in open access journals that you would expect if that was the case, because that largely solves the problem of we want to put it in gold open access. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't justify i mean the two three four thousand dollars it does not justify the journal fee for some of these uh uh open access option journals at all now but if the journal fee gets paid and then everyone else gets the access so we accept it as a compromise solution now what's worse is that um, a lot of these prestige journals are now double dipping in that they're offering an open access alternative so if you want your specific journal uh, your specific article to be open access you can pay the fee so the uh, journal's actually getting two parts of the cherry. People are paying subscriptions, getting individual papers, and at the same time, they're getting money from the author to actually make that specific paper open access so people can actually read it. It's, yeah, look, uh, that's, not, that's not new. I mean, it used to be uh, charges. It used to be page charges. Um, and some, some journals have a submission fee, but that's just to discourage people from sending complete crap most yeah. of the time. Submission fees are generally very low. Um, yeah, look, I mean, oh, journals are having it both. Let's not pretend that journals wanting it both ways is some new phenomenon. <laughs> here's look, here's the, the 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 wonderful. As far as business models go, there are people in cellars in Sicily, rubbing their hands and looking at this business model, wondering why they couldn't come up with something that's so wonderfully serious. This is a it is a ridiculous situation. So I, if you're not familiar with it, here's how here's how I see it. And bear in mind that I'm a cynical, horrible human being. So put that into consideration. Uh, researchers ask a generally a government, sometimes a uh, non-profit or charity funding body for a lot of money to do research. And the vast majority of the time, that is tax money. Essentially, it's public money. Hmm. We take the public money. Uh, that is also, I might add, going to the universities in the first place so people can have their salaries paid. So you can afford uh, bread and salmon and pop socks and cat food and stuff. So two different versions of public money coming in. One pays you so you can live, and the other is research funding. You use the research funding to do the research in the first place. 
at the point in time that you have written something that is able to be successfully communicated as a single unitary paper, which is either a set of experiments or a single idea or something like that. It's sent to a journal. Uh, the journal sent it to evaluation from other academics who do this for free. The editors work for free. Some get paid. Very, some prestige. Uh, yeah, but those people do it for, I don't think there are people who are, often, I've, I mean, I've seen the job ads and I'm not familiar with this. I, I don't think that's a proper qualification. I think the vast majority of people who are paid editors, it is their job. They're not the assistant professor of whatever at a thing. Mm, they yeah, are right. editor of the journal. And they get paid to do it on that basis. Mm, but the reviewers it's, don't. No, the reviewers don't. So it's reviewed. If it's successful, a lot of the time there's charges that are for the author that are paid either by the public funds from the original grant or from the institution that the author works at, which is more public money. Uh, this paper at this point in time is published in a journal. A scientific journal, which is which used to be a physical object that people could carry around, but is now really a collection of documents on a website. Access to this journal is sold by the publishers to individuals very uncommonly because they're quite expensive and uh, people generally don't buy them. Uh, the vast majority of the time, access to these journals is sold in a bundle to a library at an institution. So if you're at the, uh, if you're at uh, New York University, then the librarian at New York University will have a certain amount of funds and they'll use the funds to buy certain bundles of journals from certain different publishers that mean you as a member of the institution have access to the journals. So what this means is the publishers are taking public money that has been given, that has been awarded to you on a competitive basis as a publication fee. The reviewing, the curation of these documents to make sure that they are publishable, that they make sense, that they're able to be read and cited, that they have value, is done for free by other academics. And then libraries are taking more public money and buying the access to those things that you have signed your copyright away from. Uh, and occasionally there's, a, there's, there's other charges as well. Sometimes there's, there's a, a wonderful dodge where sometimes they charge you to put in color figures, yeah. which is a hangover from, uh, it's just a hangover from it being more expensive to print. But uh, having colored pixels on a screen in general, not more expensive than the black and white ones. <laughs> I had to do that so, for a recent but, paper, actually. And I'm like... Did you? Yeah. And I had no choice. I had to pay for the um for the for the color um for the color printing when I you know quick couldn't. sorry, quick qualification, the University of Oslo had to pay. That's correct. Not you myself. didn't have to pay. No. Right, yes, but that is essentially the the money uh, belonging to the tax base of the Norwegian people. Yeah, but that's money that could have gone to paying a research assistant or paying for other stuff for my oh, research. I'm not I'm not I'm not arguing with that. Now, this tension as described, if you think, well, that, that sounds like a marvelous dodge. This is, this is why my hypothetical Sicilian Don, who, lo who loves doing crime and stuff, thinks it's such an amazing scam. Because that's 
that's the center of it. And there are some justifications that journals will tell you for why they're so incredibly important. But the reason that it persists is, as we spoke of earlier, the reason that it persists is the perception of quality that's provided by the very good journals. The very good journals themselves, the umbrella that represents everything published by good journal X, is not something that can be transferred out of the, the ownership of, of the publisher. It's a thing that they own. It's an entity that they own. It's like the, the, the Blackwell, the Blackwell uh, Simple Guide to Philosophy or something. It's owned by Blackwell Publishing. Hmm. You can't start your own and have it mean exactly the same thing from scratch. It, it, it's, it, is, it is what it is. Now, a lot of these journals have, it's not simply a matter of, oh, why don't we just stop giving them all the prestiges? There's history that needs to be involved here. I mean, a journal like The Lancet, when was The Lancet started? Over 100, 18 something, was it? Yeah, man. Yeah. Was 18 it? something. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be 200 in a few years. And especially when they're also society journals or journals that are part of a, a academic society as well. There's a whole lot of other stuff there there too. Yep. Yeah, there's look, there's lots of um there's lots of uh, competing considerations. And just but, thinking about our careers, like you said before, we have to actually consider as much as we think, well, we just have to get our paper out there in a journal that, that fits, you know, what we're doing. Um, there's going to be some committee somewhere. I actually had this recently. I, I, I applied for some, mm-hmm. for some funding and, um, you know, I got some nice comments back. But uh, one of the things was there is no uh, first authored empirical papers in a high impact journal. Which was uh, mm-hmm. yeah a bit of a bit of a bit of a kick in the teeth, you know. Yeah, considering look, you're one of the most productive junior researchers that I know, and I know a lot of people who do what we do, and you've got more stuff out at some point in time that represents a, a body of work that isn't something that I'm humiliated by being associated <laughs> with. Um, That's high praise coming from you. Yeah, yeah, but like it's easy, it's easy, it's easy to be nice to you. It's everyone else generally. I have to be horrible too. Um, this, why do you think I agreed to do this in the first place? It would be, if I, you know, it would be terrible otherwise. It would be forty-five minutes of me haranguing you for what would feel like no good reason. Um, yeah, look, the um, this perception. I, I encountered this a lot in Poland. This was really interesting, and I've, I've, I met people who didn't know me, and they said, "Oh, you've published in uh, XYZ mid-tier, not particularly interesting journal." Oh, oh yeah, I suppose I have. And they went, "Oh, we'd love to publish in a journal that good." And I thought, that journal sucks. That has a that, yeah, like good reputation, but like the, in general, I didn't put the research there because I thought it was an amazing idea. I was like, oh, it just, it just fit. It was just a thing that happened at the time. It was absolutely nothing special you forget about how, it. You forget how relative it all is then because here we are yeah, going, exactly. oh, that paper was all right. The journal's respectable, but it's good. And we're still aiming, you know, doing the old trick of let's aim high and then slowly the paper just goes down, 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 down. But then again, we've actually yeah. had the opposite. We, we submitted a paper to sort of uh, low to mid-ish um, journal um, got just mm. rejected. We thought they were wrong, and we went for a higher one. And they seem to be really loving it. So it can actually go both ways. 
Yeah, well, that's it's it's almost as if the ratings in the first instance were completely arbitrary. <laughs> hmm, who knew? There you go. Yeah, look, this is this is one of the reasons why I I struggle with this job. This is why I like working with you so much because you are everything everything that I can't do. You're amazing at. You are you have excellent attention to detail with a, a normal sort of day to day tasks, and you're patient. Um, when you get reviews back or something a third time, you think, oh, it's nearly published. I think if I have to read this paper again, I'm literally going to hang myself from the light fitting. I cannot stand to do anything that isn't new. And it is, uh, it, it is a system that rewards not, not being methodical with the work or having good ideas, but the ability to make it the entire way through the process. You just got to keep and turning I up. And I loathe the process. It takes such a long time. You wait such a long time. There is so much overlap. Yeah. If you want money now, you have absolutely no options whatsoever. Yeah. If you apply for money now, it will be adjudicated. Uh, well, well, the applications will close in a month or two. It will be adjudicated in three to six months. Maybe you'll have some kind of interview or a second application in the meantime. Uh, you will be told in six to nine months and your ability to access the stuff that you just got will begin in nine to 15 months. Well, that's generally... There is the, lag time in everything. That That's generally with the, uh, with the with the government funding agencies, but I found the philanthropic agencies are actually very, very quick. Mm. Um, and well, the, I got to meet me more philanthropists. Yeah, they're, they're much, much quicker. So I've, I've have, I'm having a... I mean, the process with with one particular organization and their turnaround time is just incredible and i, I tell oh, people how quick they've been yeah and it's 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 the way it should be things things don't have to take this long but a lot of it comes down to time because obviously there needs to be academics who are actually assessing this it's getting all the academics together making sure they're rating it um so yeah it takes uh, more often than not it takes uh too much of a long time it's ridiculous mm. when it comes when it comes right down to the if you get down to the, the, the real brass tacks of that particular situation, what you have when it comes to the, the journals, journals that are locked up tight, that don't let you get access easily enough, that keep you out of your own work, that's a great story. You have not just a problem that is that crosses uh, boundaries between countries that are unnecessarily victimizes people who can't afford access to the research that they're supposed to be doing in the public good. You have a user experience problem as well. It, things are hard to get access to. It mm. creates a, there's a, there's an enormous amount of bad will in my experience that is between the people who publish in academic journals and the way the journals are structured and sold and marketed, what they actually mean. So I think Sci-Hub was inevitable in that sense. I've certainly thought that when this happened, and I've been predicting it for a few years, and I was hugely smug when I found out that this was possible because uh, uh, I love being right, but that's a very small thing in this context. It was one of those things, I'm waiting for it to happen because um, civil disobedience in this case, so I'm not going to call it, necessarily illegal i think this fits within the broader tradition of civil disobedience in the henry david thoreau kind of sense you know mm. um is one of those things that gets people's attention real real fast 
we had exactly the same problems with copyright and general rights management with music and television and ebooks and all of these industries have changed dramatically uh, over different periods of time. Obviously, it happened with some. <coughs> Excuse me. It happened with uh, it happened with music first. I used to have oh, I used to have a cassette. I remember the the thing. Home taping is a crime and it's killing music. <laughs> I had that in a, a, a cassette somewhere, and there was a there was a, a point in time where everyone was amazed with the fact that they could reproduce CDs. There's a laser in there doing yeah. that. That's absolutely amazing. Um, then we had then the, um, things... the, the the very brief but uh, appearance of the mini disc. Yeah, and they were they were excellent. They were like Betamax. It was, a, yeah, it was yeah. a better technology that just didn't take off. Yeah. Um, and then there's a, immediately the Napster revolution and LimeWire and then torrents and peer to peer sharing. The way that people access media content continues to change dramatically. Um, and the fact that you have something like this, uh, an industry that's this closed, that so it's someone's just come along and hit it with a stick at a vulnerable point, it's like those missiles going into the Death Star in that um uh, the the Star Wars, you know? Yeah. There's one vulnerable point in the huge scabby-looking Christmas ornament thing. I'm not much one for uh, television stuff. Sometimes you know, you know the the one that I mean. There's yeah, one, yeah, of course. There's one thing. Yeah, and um, and uh, Lego haircut fella is um, no, I'm kidding. I don't know his name. The Luke Skywalker shoots the missiles, and I think it goes in a tiny hole, and that's the one yeah. vulnerability in the whole damn thing. Yeah. Well, this is this is maybe that's not even a good example because this whole thing is loaded with vulnerabilities. It's someone who decides that it's a terrible idea can do this. Mm. The face of it is going to have to change, and you can't. You can't be on the wrong side of history with something. I hope publishers get this idea. You can't be on the wrong side of history with something like this. You can't push back the sea. You can't stuff the genie back into the box. But People are going to find ways to access this stuff on a massive level, and they have to change or die. This is just the start. Do you think there's actually actually going to be room for like a, like a Netflix or Spotify type thing? Yeah, yeah. Look, to to some extent, it may not. I think it's more likely that the structure of journals will change rather than you'll figure out the rights management in such a way that you can charge a smaller amount of money and get everyone access. Yeah, because that's a problem. I mean, the, a, a lot of people, if you look at, at science and if you've got access to a library somewhere, everyone is already collectively paying for this. Yeah, yeah. It's not as if there's a a few people, there's a few really good libraries there somewhere, and everyone else everyone else is stealing it. Yeah? Libraries are already doing, libraries are already buying subscriptions to all the stuff they can afford and everything that they need. Yeah. And a lot of places, it's an enormous amount of money being spent. Um, so, the idea that you're going to have uh, a better, kind of an, an, an on-demand service, or one that goes between enormous umbrellas uh, worth of journals. It's going to have to be uh, agreements between, uh, there would have to be some substantial sort of sharing agreements between large uh, large companies that are traditionally competing in this marketplace. Mm. Uh, I, considering the stuff that they've put out in the last little while, considering what I've seen them say about this issue, I'm not convinced they know anything at all about how they might do that there's yeah, a look tricky. there's a oh, there was a, an article by with one 
guy. I'm not going to say who it is because I'm about to be extraordinarily rude about it. Uh, I had one of those moments of clarity. Uh, yeah, better not. Basically, sorry? Yeah, better not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You can figure it out in retrospect and write to me and ask me if you have identified the one that I'm talking about, uh, and then I'll tell you that you're wrong anyway. Uh so the article starts out and he said, I was talking, I was talking to a junior colleague. This is how I imagine his voice. But, uh, <laughs> this is totally insufferable. I was talking to a junior colleague and they said they use Sci-Hub instead of going through their institutional access because it was easier. And I thought, oh, are you, are you joking? It's, it's <laughs> very uh, some kind of old joke. man, <laughs> very uh, old man shaking uh fist at the uh, cloud yeah yeah old man yells at cloud and i thought are you are you you are paid to know about this stuff you are uh you are an allegedly senior person in publishing you allegedly know what you're talking about and your first reaction is i can't possibly believe that someone who is choosing between two user experiences and that's what they are has chosen the easy free one instead of the complicated one yeah are you dumb are you actually are you actually a dim person? Are you are do, are do are you where you are right now because your cousin just happened to run a publishing company and got you a job a very long time ago? That is one of the stupidest things I've read about the entire issue over years and years and years. Because look, people have been saying for as long as I can remember. Go back and read. There's a, a torrent free contector. Excellent, excellent, excellent coverage on piracy stuff, peer-to-peer sharing stuff. Uh, go back and read all the stuff that's been written about it, where people say piracy is, and it's not just an access access problem. It's a user experience problem. And if it is expensive and difficult and time-consuming and annoying to get access to the thing that you have to pay for, people are doing it for free. Yeah, of course they're doing it for free. How can you put it? They'll be like, oh, oh, but they shouldn't. Shouldn't has no place here. Mm. People are going to do what they have to do. And then when they're done doing that, everyone else is just going to do what's easiest. How could the, the, the basic the basic principle of human nature, how could you possibly miss this as a point? Yeah, yeah. That's the, the, the whole the whole reason. When, when it was extremely easy to get on Napster and get everything because it existed, people just did. You just loaded it up. It was just there. It just downloaded. It was as easy as clicking your fingers. Now, you can download albums now illegally, but you've got to go to some website that's called, you know, sexyblinddeadmcjones.ru, sexy and it's going to fill your computer full of malware. And you don't know where any of it is. What can you do? Well, you can go on Spotify and pay 20 cents a month or something and have all the access streamed to you directly. What are people going to do? They're going to do the easiest thing. Yeah. It's not just about money. It's about access. And that's a final point we should, probably should have made before now. A lot of journals have really terrible interfaces. It's oh. com- these are multi-billion dollar companies. With a database structure, like junior, I've had people I know who are normal software engineers looking at these junk, going, why doesn't that work? I know what's on the back end of this. Why doesn't that work? I don't know how many times that a normal search bar in a journal run through a database. You put the exact title of the paper in and search for it, and it goes, oh, I can't find anything to do with that. Yeah. You scroll Having through the so journal, it's, it's not in the right place. They have stuff that you know it's actually published, it's not actually on the website yet. How yeah. often would you say, I mean, you have you have Norwegian University access to just about everything. How often would you say you have difficulty finding something you're trying to read? 
few times a week. And, you know, uh, on a percentage basis? Oh, maybe like 2 3%. Yeah. And that's about as good as it can possibly get because your access yeah. is, yeah, fantastic. Well, we uh, better wrap it up for today. Um, thanks for listening to Everything Hurts. If you like what you hear, make sure you give us a rating on iTunes, uh, make some comments on SoundCloud, and you can also speak to us on our Facebook page and a our good Twitter rating. account. A good rating. We give it a good rating on the thing. Yeah. What's the maximum rating? Five. I want a seven. <laughs> we'll make it happen. Hmm. <laughs> All the best. Bye for now. <laughs>